Good morning, everybody. Before I get started, I just want to do something uh, real quick, just a little exercise, not jumping jacks. Not jumping jacks. Okay, so I, I just want you to close your eyes and think a minute. I want you to think of everything you possess, all of your, your money, think of gifts you have, think of your most prized possessions, and I want you to think, which of those things do you deserve? Which of those things came from you and are not gifts from God? And I'd make the argument that the answer is none of them. None of the things we have, none of the things we own, do we deserve. They're all given to us by God. The very breath in our lungs is a gift from God. And I think the thing that we sometimes forget is that, you know, we work, we try, we strive, but all these things in the end, come, they come from God's hand. So open your eyes. So anyway, uh, yep, Pastor Rich is in here today. He's in California, so I'm going to be teaching. And just a little bit about myself. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Amen. <laughs> so, so it comes down to that. But uh, what I do is I, I do teach, uh, I teach math at a middle school and uh, grade six mathematics. And I definitely need the grace of God to do that every day and certainly pray for that. I volunteer here in the children's ministry in the back, and um, you, you know uh, what I love about children is they have a very simple, a simple faith, but sometimes a profound faith. But they they don't always get it right. It reminds me of a story I heard: a Sunday school teacher is teaching her class, and she and she said to the kids talking about heaven, you know, what if I sold my house, I gave all all of my, the money to the poor, you know, would that would that get me to heaven? And the children said, no, that's not it. They said, what if I go to the church and I volunteer, I clean it every Sunday, and you know, I, I give to the poor, and I work in the soup kitchen. Is that, is that going to get me to heaven? They said, no. They said, well, how do I get to heaven? And the little five-year-old raised his hand in the back. He said, well, you've got to die. You've got to be dead. That's how you get to heaven. So they don't always get it quite right. But it does point to the... The idea that we're going to be talking about today, which is the grace of God, right? We know that it's not through, through works. But before we do that, let's jump in to last week in Jude. So turn to Jude, just to review. See, Rich gave me, uh, I guess, the, the, the more fun week, talking about the grace of God. Last week, we talked about what the grace of God is not. It is not a license to sin. So if you look at Jude chapter, well, verse 4, there's only one chapter. It says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of God, our God, into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've been talking about false teachers, and what they do is they, they turn this grace of God, this gift of God, and they twist it into lewdness, even that word sounds foul when you say it, lewdness. 
So last week we talked about warnings. These false teachers are going to receive, they're going to get judgment. And the three things that were given as examples were the Israelites who rebelled. They did not enter the promised land. God judged them. The angels also received judgment who set themselves up against God. And Sodom and Gomorrah also rebelled against God's design for sex and the family. And there was judgment. Now, isn't it like false teachers and Satan to twist this judgment, God's righteous judgments? Satan will twist that and say, oh, how narrow-minded. When in fact, God is holy and he cannot um, but judge sin. And so Jesus talked more about hell than heaven. But the false teachers will twist. Isn't that so narrow-minded? Well, the power of knowing the truth about our condition is, is and the reality of our condition is actually very loving. And uh, without Christ, we will be judged. There's no hope apart from Christ. And so in, on one hand, you have the false teachers that are claiming this is so narrow-minded. But in reality, it's God's love to tell us the truth about where we are. And I wonder with our own... You know, with our own nation, you know, where are we with all this? And just something to think about. And so Satan also twists God's grace, this idea of grace. And so false teachers would twist this and pervert it into a license. Oh, you're forgiven, you're good, you're set, you're going to heaven, so you're free to do whatever you want. God will forgive you in the end. And it's just like Satan, any gift of God, he, Satan will corrupt and pervert and twist and we have to be very uh, careful and wary and watchful of these, these wiles, the wiles of the, of the enemy. So I think it's good to meditate on what the grace of God is. What is the grace of Well, it's not a license to sin, but what is it? And in order to look at that, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. So let's flip to there. That's going to be the main passage today. Some of you may have this memorized already, which is good. Let's turn there. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And there's two things in here I want you to take notice of. Number one, you know, we are saved from, right? And we're also saved to. And if you've memorized verse 8 and 9, I encourage you to memorize verse 8. Uh, 10 as well, because I think it sort of puts both of these in perspective. So let's read. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, let's, let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for this opportunity to speak on your grace, but I recognize, Lord, in my own flesh and my own self, um, Lord, I am weak, but you are strong, and I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts today, speak to my heart, and that you would perfect us and conform us into your image through the power of your word. And I pray that you would help us to walk in those good works that you have prepared beforehand, and that we would be uh, wary and, and guarded against false teachers and against the 
idea of this uh, cheap grace that's out there um, that has uh, really misused this great gift that you've given. So equip us and help us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, disclaimer. Go back to verse 7 in chapter 2. It says, That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We will spend all eternity discovering this idea. So I'm not going to in any way try to paint the whole picture, but maybe give a few things today to get you thinking. But in fact, we will spend all eternity learning and praising God for His great grace. There's no way we could pack this into one uh, sermon. So just all those dimensions we'll be discovering uh, throughout eternity. So just a disclaimer. So we're saved. We're saved by grace. That word saved... Okay, would indicate that there's something we're saved from. What are we saved from? So we have to go back in chapter 2, in the beginning, and let's just look at some of those things that God has saved us from. So chapter 2, verse 1, and, he, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You kind of skip down to the end of that verse. According to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So we were dead in sin. We were disobedient. Verse 3 at the end, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We were, we were stamped with God's wrath. That's what was coming upon us. We were disobedient. Uh, children of the devil. We, we had no hope. There's, there's nothing, I don't know about you, but when I look at this, I don't see anything in there that indicates anything in myself based on my merit that's deserving of the gift of God's grace. There's nothing, I don't see anything there. So we were dead in sins, lost, children of wrath. And if you look at verse 4, but God, but God. So there, we're neither lovable or powerful enough to be worthy of heaven in our own strength and our own merit. And this is our condition or our position before God, a holy and righteous God. There's no good thing in our flesh. So don't follow your heart. The Bible says it's depraved and deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17.9. Even our righteous works, Isaiah 64.6, are like filthy rags before him. So you can dress up this dead body, you can, you can you know, put lipstick on it or whatever, dress it up, but it's still a corpse, it's still dead and stinking. Our stinking flesh has nothing in it that deserves heaven. Enter God and the cross, the cross. So that's what makes the cross so interesting and unique about Christianity. King Jesus took the cross on himself while we were yet sinners. This is our condition, our position. We, we have nothing, nothing to offer, nothing to give. By nature, children of wrath. There's only one place for our nature to really go, and that's in identification with the death on the cross with Christ. So Christ took that. He provided a new nature. So that's, that's the bad news, the, our old nature. The good news is he provided a sacrifice. He provided a new nature. And I think it's important for us to understand this because there's common misconception even among Christians that if you do the sacraments, if, you do, if I only pray enough, if I, you know, if I only do enough, my good deeds will outweigh my bad. That's a very common misconception in the world. And that's why the cross is foolishness to people. 
it's foolish because the Greek mindset is, you know, the king comes to conquer and to take over and the strong prevail and the weak suffer, you know. So there's a, it's a completely upside down view of things. Jesus took the cross on himself and he made us alive together with him by a new nature. That kind of reminds me of another story, true story. A man dies and goes to heaven and he sees Peter at the gates. True story. And Peter says to him, this is how it works, okay? You need a hundred points to get in. And the guy says, okay, I think I, I think, I could, I think I could do it. He says, all right, I was married for 50 years, never committed adultery with my wife, even in my heart. Peter says, that's worth three points. He says, three points? What are you talking about? All right, so he said, okay, well, I attended church every week. I even taught Bible studies sometimes. You know, I, I stayed even after the service and, you know, shared my faith with people. He said, okay, Peter says, that's one point. He says, Oh, one point. Okay, well, what about that soup kitchen I started and I volunteered and I fed you know, the homeless and the homeless veterans and worked in that shelter? He's, Peter says, fantastic. That's two more points. Two points, the man cried. He says, at this rate, the only way I can get into heaven is by the grace of God. And he said, that's right, come on in. <laughs> so we, we look at our own, our own works and we think, you know, we're, we think we're pretty good. But it's kind of like the man who... You know, the man who, say you have the Grand Canyon, okay? Your goal is to jump across the Grand Canyon. You might have an Olympic athlete, you know, me, and my, you know, I might make eight feet, so I could jump and then I fall to my death, and then you might have an Olympic athlete. He might be able to jump, I don't know, 25 feet, you know, run and jump. He's still going to fall to his death. And so we can measure ourselves against ourselves and against each other, but that measurement always leaves us uh, short. We all fall short. And I'm, and I'm glad salvation is not like that, that you have to, you know, climb the seven mountains and slay the seven-headed dragon to get the golden apples, like some fairy tale story, because I, I think I would be disqualified. I don't think I'd make it. So we know that grace isn't earned. Salvation is not earned. It's getting something we don't deserve. What we deserve is punishment and death and separation from God forever. And you may have heard grace... Another way to say it is unmerited favor. So, to illustrate this, what a gift is like, it's like this. You're welcome. Now you've got to open it. <laughs> it's just for you. <laughs> so grace is like that it's a gift it's something given it's not earned it's not there's no merit involved it's given and the only response really from us that really makes sense is is thank you that's why i picked you i knew you'd say thank you denise you're very you manners is very important to miss 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 denise so you know, that's a picture. Now, it's not a full picture. Every analogy breaks down, but it would be like we were all offered this grace, and, and really, you receive it. You receive grace. You may have also heard of uh, grace, the acronym, you know, God's riches as, as at Christ's expense. At Christ's expense. So God is the initiator. So if you go in, in uh, Ephesians, if you look back in chapter 1, I'd encourage you to read that later, 
but you can read all of the riches we have in Christ, all of the things included in this grace, uh, salvation found in Christ, uh, spiritual blessings, adoption as sons and daughters. We're accepted. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, wisdom offered to us. So all of these gifts kind of wrapped up in, uh, in salvation. An inheritance in Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're made alive and we're children of God, uh, not children of wrath. So grace is sometimes shown to us in life, and when we see this, we kind of recognize that there's something in our heart that echoes, you know, with eternity, that this, this makes sense, this is good, this is right. Um, I'll give you an example. In my own life, a long time ago when I was dating Nicola, and I lived in Pennsylvania, I was driving back and forth, um, had a car that was not in good shape, so I broke down right before the Tappan Zee Bridge when you're going through New York. Very busy inner, uh, spot to break down. Last place you want to break down. I had about $40 in the bank, so didn't have a lot uh, to, to offer there. So I broke down there. I had to call, get towed, and got, to the ho- got a hotel room. And the mechanic, the car, my car got towed to a mechanic, and I absolutely had no money. So the guy... There, I told him, I said, I, you know, I don't have any money. I don't know what to tell you. I was like, when I get to where I'm going, I can send you a check. And the guy extended grace. I didn't deserve that. He fixed the car. He let me go about my way. And this is like, I think it was New Jersey. So, you know, just a really rough part. And the guy extended that grace. Very surprising to me. And I later, you know, sent him the check and, uh, you know, thanked him. But he, he didn't have to do that. That, that was... You know, he could have said, nope, sorry, you're on your own. Um, but at that time, I didn't have a credit card. Didn't, you know, I was pretty young, so didn't have any of those things. So you know, seeing that in the world, in life, we can sort of identify that grace when we experience it, when we see it. So um, in the Bible, God points to his grace in a lot of different ways. So I encourage you to read Second uh, Samuel chapter 9 talks about Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. Jonathan, in all reality, should have been the king of Israel, but God chose David because Jonathan was um, Saul's son, the rightful heir, but God chose David to be the king. Now, Jonathan had a son, uh, Mephibosheth, but in fleeing the kingdom, he fell and was lame in the leg. So uh, he became obscure, just hiding away, And David became king and the ruler, and one day David wanted to show kindness to the heirs of Jonathan because he had always promised to, you know, they had this friendship. In most situations like this, David would have killed all of the uh, ancestors of of the former king. That would be how it normally was. But instead, he extended grace. He called up Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth came and bowed down to David because, you know, he, he thought he probably would have been murdered or something like that. But David said, you know, you take all the land that Jonathan ha- that uh, your father and your, you know, Saul had, you take all this land, and in fact, you can eat at the king's table every day. Extended God's grace. So at that time, this is a picture of, he's given inheritance, he's given land, he, he de- doesn't deserve it, wasn't looking for it, and God, through David, gave him this grace, extended grace. And so that rings in our hearts. There's something about that that makes us 
Praise God. Um, another one is the, the prodigal son. The prodigal son came home with nothing. He, he had spent all his inheritance. The only thing he really had was shame to offer. And, the, and the, it says that the, the father actually ran to meet him, which was very shameful in that culture. You wouldn't, the older men would not run. So not only did he accept his son, but he ran to him. He slaughtered the fattened calf and threw a party for him. So he gave him honor when he didn't deserve it. And the other son who had never left was the one who kind of had a bad attitude. He's like, Father, I've been here this whole time and you didn't, you didn't uh, kill a calf for me to have a party. And so he kind of had this bad attitude. And so grace can do that because it doesn't make sense. It's not rational. It's not the way I would do it. That's not how I would do things. I would, I would have a system of points. And if you, if you do this, I'm a math teacher. You know, you get, to get this and do this and that's how you get an A in my class. That's, that's how I would do it. But not so in the kingdom. God extended his, his grace. So the prodigal son, a good example. Another one is, look at Jesus, the immoral woman in all reality, according to the law, caught, caught in the sin of adultery, should have been stoned or killed. And Jesus extended grace. He wrote in the dirt. We're not sure what he wrote, but it could have been you know, the sins of the other uh, Pharisees that wanted to condemn and kill her. And he said, he who has uh, no sin cast the first stone, and they all left. And so the immoral woman is an example. Jesus extended grace. Um, and then another one, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a, a tax collector in the Jewish uh, nation. He worked for Rome um, and would not be somebody that Jesus would, you know, go to his house. You know, so Jesus said, I'm going to go to your house today. So he, he went uh, to Zacchaeus' house. And Zacchaeus really was a, was a kind of a rotten man, greedy um, but he was changed. Jesus changed him. He, he was um, visited by Jesus through God's grace and was changed. And finally, this was one of my favorites, is the, the man, on the, the thief or the murderer, hanging on the cross next to Jesus. This, had, this man had no hope of salvation, no hope of doing anything to earn salvation, and, but he believed, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And that is a picture of us. We really, our flesh on the cross, that's where it belongs. And the only thing that we have to hope for is really salvation, save, that saving grace of God. So it gives us a picture of grace, and the only real response is the glory of God. And so if you look at verse 9, back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9, it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so that it really rules out any boasting because if I did it, then I could claim some credit. And we can't. There's nothing, no credit we can claim. And then we continue on. So it says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let me skip. I'm sorry. Let me go back. For by grace you have been saved through faith, through faith, and that not of yourselves. So let's talk about faith. What is faith? Okay, so Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, gives us kind of a classic definition of faith. Up there. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then if you skip down to verse 6, it also talks about without faith... But without faith, it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe 
that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, that, so this faith, okay, let's talk about this faith because there's a lot of controversy about this, even this verse, that makes it kind of hard to understand. So the question is, is this faith that we're supposed to have, this belief, is this faith a gift of God, the faith in itself? Because it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Okay, so there's debate about this. What is that referring to? Some say it refers to faith and therefore even the faith is granted as a gift. Others argue, and when you look at commentary, you're going to see great men of God on both sides of this. Some would argue that they say the Greek word that is, does not match the gender of faith or grace in that passage. So because the gender doesn't match, therefore it can't refer to just faith. And they say that the, the that refers to the whole plan and process of salvation, including faith, not one element of it. Okay. So, is it man's free will to choose by faith, or is it God's sovereign election causing those who are saved to exercise faith? Yes. <laughs> if that helps clear it up, yes. It's, I, think it's, I think it's both. And so, people for centuries have been wrestling with this, so I'm not going to try to say I figured it out. But when I come to something I don't know, I go back to what I do know. Because I'm not sure. So I go back to, okay, so here's what I know. God gets all the glory for his unique plan of salvation. So I can't take any credit even for my faith. So I know that. I also know man is without excuse. So you can't say, well, it's God's fault that they're not saved because, you know, he didn't choose them. He didn't give them the faith. Sorry. It's God's fault. Isn't that how we twist things? So man is without excuse. We are still commanded to repent and believe. That's still a command. And if you do a search on the word believe, look in John, the word believe, it's, it's all throughout. Jesus is telling him, believe, repent and believe. I also know that God is justified in his choices. He is holy and I surrender to his plan, his sovereign will. I also know that God has commanded me to share the gospel. So one side of this is if you have this idea that God has you know, chosen some and not others, it can make us lazy and forget the other command that we're commanded to share the gospel. So that's my job. I'm not going to worry about God's job, my job, share the gospel. I do know that the door is open to you. So if you're wondering if God chose you, do you want to be saved? Put your faith in, in him and repent of your sin and believe. Give up your own plan to save yourself and throw yourself on the grace and the mercy of God. Not by your good works, but on his sufficient sacrifice and shed blood on the cross. So if you're wondering if your neighbor is saved, did God choose my neighbor? Instead of sitting there thinking about it, go share the gospel. So if you come to something you don't know, go back to what you do know. So I think the answer is both. I think you can make arguments for both and I think it's fun to debate it and think about it. But at the end of the day, go back to what you do know. Be obedient to what we do know. We do know we need to share the gospel. And I also think it's human nature, and it's just like us, to overcomplicate the message to the point we do nothing, and we miss the big picture. So don't miss the big picture. All you theologians out there are just going to think about this. Um, don't miss, the, don't miss the, the message, the point. You know, it's God's grace.
Is the faith given? Yeah, I mean, I think when you think about it, when I got saved, I wasn't really looking for God. And God rescued me and pulled me out. He sent people to share the good news with me. So I can give him credit and glory for that and for stirring up my faith, I guess. But at some point, did I have to choose? Did he force me to choose? I don't know. I mean, we're not robots. So it's, I think, both. But let's go on. We don't get caught up in that too much. So grace. Grace is the salvation, but grace is also sanctification. And I think this is why it's good to memorize verse 10, because sometimes we stop at verse 9, and we say, all right, we're saved. And I think that's where this idea of grace as a license to sin comes in, because if you read the rest, there's really no room for a license to sin. It doesn't make sense. It says that in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So the good works don't save us. They're a result of the salvation that God is working in us. So workmanship, that word means uh, poema, which is where we get the word poem. So we are God's masterpiece. He's working on us. We're under construction. Conversion is just the beginning. That's just the start. And the goal is to make us more like Christ. And you know the verse, uh, Philippians 2.13. This is a really good one to describe work. Because when you hear the word work, often you think of like sweat, pain. You know, it's, a, it's something you got to do. But I like this verse. It says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So even that will to do the good works God is the author of that. He's at work, the author and finisher of our faith. We are the clay. We yield to him. We yield to what he's doing. And I think that comes through, you know, prayer. You, 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 you have to have an active, you know, prayer life in this process. Allow God to work. So these good works, God created in Christ. He created us in Christ for good works. Now, again, I think we see... Uh, in others, when we see God doing good works in others, it's encouraging. So I encourage you to read about Christian brothers and sisters who, you know, biographies and things like that, to encourage your faith because um, so we're created in Christ for good works. There are two books that um, I really enjoy. I read to my kids. They were really good. One was called Seven Men and one was called Seven Women by Eric Metaxas. And he picks different, you know, the seven men. One was like George Washington, seven women. They were like Joan of Arc and some other people, uh, Mother Teresa and some different people in there. And it just kind of talked about their, their lives and their lives of, of good works and different challenges they faced, their insufficiencies, their inadequacies, and just how they overcame and did some different things. So one of my favorites, uh, Corey Ten Boom, she was a, a, a Dutch Christian, her and her family. And during the Nazi uh, invasion, they housed um, Jewish people. And they, there's a movie called The Hiding Place. And so she hid Jews in her house. They were eventually discovered, went to concentration camp. And she has some amazing quotes. And God just worked in her life, gave her grace. She did a Bible study in the concentration camp. Her sister died in the camp. Her father died. She eventually w was released um, through a, a sort of a miracle, 
And, you know, she just has some amazing quotes. One is, that, you know, there's no pit so deep that's God, that God's love can't um, be, yes, deeper still. God's love, um, just the power of God's love and God's grace in her. And a, the ability to forgive and extend that grace to even her enemies. And so when we see that, I think it sparks in us, uh, you know, praise and honor for God. So really encourage you to, to look, look some of these people up. And God is the author. Another one that I really like is the story of Louis Zamperini, who was an Olympic athlete, uh, won some gold, I think gold medals, and went in the war. He was a bomber, and the bomber plane, his plane went down. He was captured, sent to Japanese uh, prison camp, and there was one particular uh, officer who treated him very poorly, knew he was an Olympic athlete, and just took it upon himself, found great joy in humiliating him and making him suffer. And Louis Zamperini actually wrote him a letter because uh, he, he got out, escaped. You know, uh, the war was over, he was freed. And then later talks about God's forgiveness towards someone like this that humiliated him. And, you know, he tells him, you, you did these things, you dehumanized me, but, you know, but, but I f- forgive you and I want you to know the love of Christ. And when we hear these things, it does spark in us, wow, that's, that's a good work. That's something that God has done in that person, there's no way that is possible by human effort and uh, human you know, ability. And so just amazing stories of God's grace. And so these good works. So a couple verses you might want to write down for meditation. You know, Matthew 5.16 says, Let them see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, so these good works are meant to be done. Whatever your job is, whatever your career is, you know, if you excel in that career, you study hard, you work hard, you're first one to show up, last one to leave, you know, that can be a good thing and point to the good works of, of the Father. Um, Colossians 1.10, be fruitful in every good work. Um, and fruit, what I like about fruit, it does not strive on the vine. You don't go out and see fruit like, I'm going to be a fruit. You know, it's like an apple, grape. You know, you don't see that. The fruit is disconnected, it's attached, and it thrives and grows. And so fruit, I think, points to this idea that Christ is at work in us to will and to do for his good pleasure. Uh, Titus 2.14, be zealous for good works. So, you know, as Christians, it's not, grace is not a license to sin. We should be the hardest working people out there because it's God at work in us. First uh, Corinthians is my favorite. I'll ask you to turn there. First Corinthians 15 Verse 9 through 11 talks about Paul. Now, sometimes we look at Paul and we think, oh, what a great man in the flesh. He you know, was a student. A, you know, he studied. He um, was someone to look up to. But I love what he says about himself. 1 Corinthians 15, 9. He says, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was in me, with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. And so I really like that because it points to the grace working in Paul to do these amazing things and suffer for the kingdom and, you know, not look back. So God, 
prepared these works for us to walk in beforehand. So he takes the lead. So going back, sorry, back to Ephesians. God prepared these works beforehand. So again, this points to God's sovereign plan. Our job is just to yield and walk in them. Um, this is kind of funny. If God is your co-pilot, switch seats. So often we see, I don't know if you've seen that God is my co-pilot. Well, you need to move seats. Let him be the pilot and take and lead. So grace is salvation and the available strength and wisdom through Christ to live the Christian life. So grace is twofold. It's the strength and wisdom. It's the power to work and not just salvation. And <clears throat> James 4.6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So how do we, how do we get this grace? Well, we humble ourselves. We come to him. We admit we're sinners. We can't do it. I can't, not only can I not save myself, I can't actually live a victorious Christian life in my own strength. So coming to him daily, he gives more grace, but he resists the proud. If we try in our own effort, in our own strength, in our own designs, our own schemes, to work it out, to figure it out, I gotta admit, that's one of my biggest problems. I'm always trying to figure it out, trying to analyze every angle and try to make the right decision. Well, just fall upon him, fall upon his grace. That's, that's a message for myself. So grace is access to our heavenly privilege. And we'll kind of close with this. <clears throat> it says, Hebrews 4, 6 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So it's kind of like this. If someone, you know, if a student comes to me, I have a little bit of a more um, boundary, right? A student comes to me, they share things. You know, I have a certain boundary with students in my profession, right? If my kids come to me, completely different, right? They can approach me with boldness. Students, I say, well, you've got to come to me department night. You've got to wait, you know, on Tuesday and come at this time and we can set up an appointment. You can come, we can talk about your grade and all that kind of stuff. My kids can come boldly, talk to me whenever, whenever they want, right? It's different. And so that's what we, how we should be. God is our Father. We have this access through grace. It's not a cheap grace, it costs everything, right? It costs Jesus and his blood shed through his, his love. We should not take it lightly, but it's that, through that grace. I can't stand in my own merit. I can't stand even as a Christian. I don't pray because I'm good. Today I was good. I deserve to go to pray. No, never, never good. It's never enough. It's what Christ did. So that is my... Um, the stance I take. It's through, through faith in what he has done. It kind of reminds me of a trip I took to Wendy's recently. I know this is a very poor analogy, but just hear me out. So I took my girls to Wendy's. They wanted to get some Wendy's, so we go. And we eat, and then we get Frosties. And I paid for the Frosties. And then the next day, I went into my bag at school, and I did not realize I had a year-long free Frosty ticket. It was like a scan that a student gave me as a Christmas present in a card. So it's, it's kind of like that. Many times, like I paid for that Frosty myself when I didn't have to. I paid my own hard-earned money when I had all along in my bag a free Frosty for the year ticket. And 
God is kind of like that in a way. It's kind of weird. Like, but His grace is like that frosty. It's there and it's available. Now I can strive and struggle and do everything I can to, to provide for myself, try to figure it out, try to work all the angles when God is just saying, here's my grace, it's sufficient for you. It's available, come and see me. So it's kind of like that. So I hope these meditations on these verses are not tedious for you. You may have been thinking, oh, I got that one down, I already memorized it. Um, but hopefully it's just a healthy um, way to reflect and study God's grace and have an, uh, just that much more appreciation for the immense riches of his, of his grace. And we will be discovering this for all of eternity. It's a, it's a glorious, not to be twisted, not to be used as a, as a license, but a glorious and thankful um, appreciation that it should, should give us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace that saved a wretch like me and, and all of us. And if there's anyone here who has not turned their lives over to you and exercised that faith, even that you perhaps give them, that you prompt them to do, I just pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to convict and challenge and, and show that there is an eternal judgment and it's, and it's coming. And we have the opportunity to throw ourselves upon your grace and your mercy and that, we, and that they would now, as many of us have. And Lord, apart from salvation, which we are so grateful and thankful, help us in that appreciation, in that gratitude to, do, to serve you by the power of your strength. Lord, show us those good works that each of us have before us that you've preordained, that we would walk in them, that we would walk in the power of the grace that you provide, that that would be the way our lives would be marked and that people would see our good works and glorify you, Father in heaven. That that would be our goal, not to use this grace to um, just take a back seat, but to be active about sharing the good news. Just thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace. Help us to go from here today and just think of ways to uh, promote your good word and, and the gospel. Uh, and let our lives be a written poem by you that reflect your glory and your authorship. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, thanks, guys. <laughs>